and welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, there is always more life. At the congregation to remain standing as you are able as today's text comes from Genesis chapter 41 verses 46 through 57. This is a story of Joseph, the resilient son of Jacob, who listened and helped interpret for Pharaoh what his dreams meant. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain, like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble in my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. And Pharaoh told the Egyptians, Go to Joseph and do what he tells you. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph, because the famine was severe everywhere. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated, and as you are, let us pray together. Eternal God, show us your word and your covenant in your word, and your grace in your covenant, and your goodness in your grace, and your love in your goodness, and yourself in your love, and all in the face of Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit, which stands between me and your people, so the words of my mouth the meditation of our hearts would be transformed into what you would say this day. And all of God's people did say, Amen. We're a little later in the schedule to talk about the issue of stewardship, so if you are visiting with us today, this sermon will have some particular uh, particularities that are not present every week. I'm going to be talking specifically about giving you all a bit of a state of the church, of where we are, where we're looking, and the importance of what it means for us all to participate in financially contributing to the life of the church. That doesn't happen every week. But if you happen to be visiting today and you only show up that, that's not what happens every week. But every year I love telling this story about two men that were on a cruise ship. 
These guys had booked this separately, but they found themselves after this cruise ship went down marooned on an island, and one was entirely distraught that they would be lost forever, and the other was quite peaceful. And the man who was distraught looked at the guy who was peaceful and he said, Look, how can you be so peaceful? We are marooned on an island in the middle of nowhere. We may die on this island. Nobody's going to find us. And the other guy said, No, somebody's going to find us. And the distraught man said, How on earth can you say you know someone's going to find us? He said, Look, I'm a Methodist. We put out a port at the end of September, and every year my church does a financial stewardship campaign. Trust me, someone's going to find us in about two weeks. Folks, I've been doing this for so many years. How many of you remember the circuit rider bags? You remember those as Methodists? We have the bags. They go to everybody's houses. We do that. I mean, we talked about giving up a Happy Meal or a Starbucks. I'm not going there. I'm just going to tell you straight up. We need to learn something biblically, and I'm going to tell you, give you a snapshot of where we are. But let's first begin with the biblical truth that's here. Joseph. Joseph, a character of incredible resiliency and trust in God, who at the moment of every time that the world disappointed him, and if you know his story, it began with his brothers throwing him into a well, but then to pull him out only to sell him into slavery, only to rise to prominence, to be betrayed, to be imprisoned, this cycle of the world that was constantly against him, and yet in all things he always trusted in God. And what immediately precedes this text that we read today was nobody could interpret Pharaoh's dreams, that Pharaoh was dreaming that there was uh, coming out of a river seven very fat cows, and then there were seven very skinny cows. But Joseph was able to interpret the dreams for others, and he did so for Pharaoh. Pharaoh rose him up, and, and literally this Jewish wanderer becomes the most prominent person within Egypt, and he saves so many people by simply being able to be trusting to God and also aware of what is around him. There's so much that we can learn from Joseph's life that we don't put our trust in God. It is not determined upon how the world either meets our needs or disappoints us. But there's a God who is faithful to us regardless of what happens on the external circumstances. We listen to Joseph and his life because he teaches us how to tune our hearts in the words of him to sing God's praise, how to be connected with God, how to not let circumstances determine our trust. Because we know that circumstances will not determine God's faithfulness. For in the words that him, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning new mercies I see. And so as we think about where we are in celebrating 50 fruitful years of ministry in seasons past, there have been times of struggle and turmoil, times of triumphs, times of famine, times of abundance. This is true in the cycle of every church. And in 37 years, I can mark with you across the decades. I especially remember when I was in the 1980s and we were in Wichita Falls and I remember clearly what happened in the banking crisis that hit a lot of folks. Some of you may remember that in the 1980s. And, and, and suddenly everybody wondered, what could we do? And what I learned as a teenager observing what was happening is that when everybody came together, it was amazing how the church continued to flourish even as it was frugal and continued the ministry of the church. 
We've been through a season in the life of our own congregation, as many United Methodist churches have, and I want to just paint the picture for you about where we're headed. And I want you to know that when we talk about money, I have no problem asking you to think about because you're not giving money to me, you're not giving money to the church, you're giving your money to God, and that response to God is a way in which you say, God, I recognize all that I have is a gift from you. The church is simply a steward of what that does. We're simply a steward. But collectively, to give you a snapshot, our church, we have 2,300 families that call this place home. 2,300. That's a lot of folks. Now you may notice there's a little bit of difference between that number because there are not 1,950 people over at the Vine today, right? It's true in most every church that there is a large gap between the people who attend church or attend and worship online every single week. So first thing is be not discouraged. What Barna Research tells us that is that when most people attend church an average of 17 times a year, they feel that they're regular attenders. Church used to be the hallmark point. But church now in attendance is not, your participation in church is not defined by your Sunday morning attendance, but by engaging in the mission of the church in the world, and we celebrate that. So we have different metrics that say, are people engaged in hands-on ministry in the life of the church? You've heard me say before, no one's life has changed because you came to church on Sunday morning, but if you will be the body of Christ in the world, then the whole world will be transformed. Friends, this is the pep rally. This is the place that we gather to be infused, to be inspired, to be confronted with our malaise and our complacency, to tap into a little bit of the guilt. If you've got some guilt, that's between you and God, right? Don't blame me. It's the Holy Spirit's nudge. It's, it's inviting you into a deeper, fuller, and richer life with Christ. And it should touch every part of your being. It should determine your calendar for the day. It should determine the priorities of your life. And when you say, Christ is Lord of my life, you don't get a hold back. You either say, Christ is the Lord of all my life, or he's not. But why do we talk about money? We talk about money because Jesus talked about possessions and money more than anything else. If you look at all of his teachings, possessions and money touch his teachings more than anything else. Friends, if you want to see where your priorities lie in your life, I would say look at your checkbook. But half of you, that won't even make any difference, right? A lot of folks don't keep a paper checkbook anymore. So go online and draw up your expenses. I mean, you can sort stuff like all kinds of categories. What I'm asking you blatantly and plainly is to say, I'm asking you to make the church and giving to God a priority in your life. It's easy for me. It's easy for Sean and I. What we do is we simply say to the business office, you take this out, I never see it. So I'm going to start by saying, if you are not someone who's learned the joy of living into giving to the tithe, and someone said, well, is that 10% of gross or net? I'll take either. <laughs> I'll take either. If, if everybody in the life of the church gave 2%, you know what we'd be doing? We'd be packing 60,000 meals for Haiti. We'd be packing 600,000 meals, right? But we understand people are in different places. So here's the snapshot for you. We want to let you know how important what you are and what you do is in the life of the church. 
So our, our finance office keeps track of what we call our giving units. Now, I don't know who those are. I don't have any idea when people walk in going, you're a giver, you're not a giver. So relax, okay? A giving unit is a person or family that gives to the church. And in this season where we're facing some degree of uncertainty, I doubt that we're actually going to live as the famished cow, nor as the fattened cow. It's probably going to be a lean cow, maybe in between, right? So in 2022, due to people moving away from the community, or people who have passed away, or people who have felt the call of God because of our particular congregation's vote to move to the Global Methodist Church, we're gonna, we know that we will receive $305,000. It's $304,940 less next year. Okay? We just know this for a fact. The church is a business, friends. We watch the numbers because we're stewards of what you, what you give to us. So we know that's less than giving. And we want to say a specific word for those who in this season, for the trajectory of our church, have followed God's calling to another church. I want you to know, I pray God's blessing on them. I want them to be your friends. I want them to find those communities of faith to fruitfully connect to the churches that they're going to and to be blessed in beautiful ways. They're still our friends. They're still your friends. That should not change. But they're just a different place. So when we look at these three major categories, we've got a $305,000 gap. Now, I want to let you know, um, I tend to watch things a bit OCD. I tend to bug Joe. And I'll go in and he'll say, boss man, I haven't got the count done yet. I haven't got the count done yet. On Mondays, Joe pulls things together and makes deposits. We saw some trends. We're already working aggressively in where we've had some staff that have voluntarily moved to different jobs or have said, hey, you know, do you think maybe I could move to a part-time? We did not immediately replace that because we want to be stewards of your resources. Because we knew we could always add back later, but what if this trend that we see, how do we match up with it? And obviously, who doesn't get up and look at the stock market every day and wonder, how's that going to affect everything, right? You're looking at your 401ks. We're no different. We're looking at what's happening. So we already know that as we start, we can identify $80,000 before we ever get to 2023. So we're going to already step into doing our part as a staff. What I'm asking you is to help us make up the $220,000 gap. That's what we've got to make up. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do that. Um, in, in really easy math, if 200 families would start by giving $100 a month, then we could make up that difference. It'd be $240,000. Look, I remember when Clint Wiley did his math, and some of you engineers are really hard on him, right? I know I'm trying to go over, right? I just, I'd like to get on the top side of the 220, maybe 240, right? But just break it down in simple picture. Maybe you can't give an extra 100 or start giving 100. Maybe you could do 50. Maybe you could do half on those family units. Maybe, maybe you never really made giving to the church a priority. I'm just asking you to do that. Look, you want to know how easy it is? You literally can get on your phone while I'm preaching, and you can go to the Give button. You can set up a gift. You can make it reoccurring. And just like you do most everything else you do, how often do you set up reoccurring contributions for the things you do? Folks, I'm just going to tell you straight up, outside this robe, we all afford what we want to afford. And what we choose to do in our house is say, we're going to make giving a priority in our life. I'll give you a practical example. I'm a golf snob. I confess. 
As my wife sometimes says, you know, at least if I say it's happening, it's okay, right? It's better. I don't like top flights. I don't like nitros. I like Pro V1s. Now, I'll be smart. I use gently used Pro V1s sometimes. But friends, if I have a worn out Pro V1 and I'm playing golf with Mark Ward and he hits it into the woods and I go help him find his golf ball and I come out with a Pro V1, that's a great deal. That's, that's wonderful. I find that. I, I afford what I want to afford in what I purchase. What I'm asking you simply is this. When we look at the challenge that this church is going to face in stepping into the denomination that has got three basic beliefs. First, to love extravagantly, to worship passionately, to witness boldly. As we live into this new season of our church, I'm asking you, help us make this a reality. It's never a great appeal to tell you how much it costs for electricity or how it costs for insurance. But friends, keeping this place as a place from which ministry is sent is what enables us to do what we do through society, through youth retreats, through uh, children's ministries, through all kinds of giving. And so this is the day that I just take the hat off and just say, look, I'm talking to you directly about this is our church. This is, in the terms of sort of the cougars, down, this is our house, right? This is our place. And so the way you do that is you take that giving card and you tell us. Now you may be surprised to know that of those 2,300, we only have roughly 800 family units that give on a regular basis. And we want to increase that. We want to be able to increase that, but the best thing you can do to help us is to fill out that estimate of giving card that says, hey, here's what we believe God's calling and leading us to do. And then I'm going to tell you this. We will live within what you tell us. Finance committee will take a look at it. We'll give a report back to you, and we'll tell you where we're going. And we'll live within what we hear from you all. I'm asking if you'll help us make up a gap, to help us thrive in ministry, help us to look to the future, Help us keep transforming lives. Help us be a place that makes a witness to Christ, invites people into that relationship. A place that celebrates when children come to learn about what it means they come to the created by God and they are formed and shaped in confirmation class and youth retreats. Grief share, go all down the list. A place where families gather around and pack meals for people that they'll never see. This is who we are. And I'm just pleading to you, come on in and join the journey. Be a part of it. Help us make it happen. Because what I believe is, as much as God has done for us, it is simply the beginning of what God can do through us and will as a community of faith. Like Joseph, we trust in God, regardless of the external circumstances, and we know God will provide. Will you join us? Will you help us in that journey? Let's pray together. God, we're so grateful for the witness of Scripture that in the midst of the context when we see in the life of Joseph, someone who in a foreign land under authority of other people remained true and faithful to you and you blessed others around him as he tuned his heart to stay in connection with you. So would you help us as a community of faith to, to rally and summons as we look at what's available in each of our lives to help close this gap and to step forward in faith together as a community 
to help this church thrive and become what you call us to be and to become. God, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your grace. And thank you for your love. For it is in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we commit our lives in service to you. And all of God's people said, Amen.